Hey, creep. I want to tell you a tale, if you're ready to hear it. It may not be pleasant. It may not end the way you want it to. But this story is gripping, and as fascinating as it is shockingly horrifying. Are you ready? My name's Cole, and you're listening to Tales. Music moves the soul, does it not creep? Music is such a deeply personal medium for emotion and expression, so deep in fact that we've over the years divided and subdivided them into genres to better suit our needs to find exactly what it is that speaks to how we feel. Creeps, we connect over music. We bond with one another and are reminded of our humanity when we can hear the feelings and experiences of others expressed in a way that feels personal to ourselves. And someone who exemplified that ability to speak to our shared human experiences and our our souls was none other than Marvin Gaye. Unfortunately, creeps, we aren't here today to speak about his musical legacy, but rather his untimely death, because Marvin Gaye was murdered. Marvin Gaye Sr. was extremely strict, and while some would characterize him as a Christian pastor, it would be accurate to say he never held down a job in a meaningful manner one way or another. According to a member of the family, Marvin Gaye Sr. was never able to stay employed at a job for longer than three years. While working at the postal office, he was laid off due to a supposed back injury. And while working at Western Union, he quit because people were working on the day of Sabbath. In other words, he bounced from job to job habitually, which created instability and anxiety in the household. For Marvin Gaye Jr., The Marvin Gaye who sung such classics as Heard It Through the Grapevine and Sexual Healing. His childhood was traumatic, and his relationship with his father was often the source of much of that trauma. Whether it was due to his father's overzealous display of religion and the hypocrisy with which he treated it, or his perpetual state of unemployment, or the fact his last name was the source of endless childish jokes, Marvin Gaye was bullied unrelentingly by other children. But it didn't end when small little Marvin Jr. came home. Marvin stated his father would subject him to brutal whippings for seemingly no reason at all, often at times just simply making up reasons for him to punish his son. Later in life, the legendary singer stated that living with his father was like living with a king, a very peculiar, changeable, cruel, and all-powerful king. Through all his pain and childhood home discomfort, it was through church that Marvin Gaye Jr. found his passion for singing and began performing regularly by the age of six through worship. When his teen years arrived, Marvin wanted more. The hymnals and worship songs he'd been singing weren't ringing as true to him as they once were, and didn't promise a future beyond exploring his passion once a week on Sundays. So Marvin began joining singing groups. And so Marvin Sr. had another reason to berate his son. Due to this, he found himself being kicked out of his home by his cruel and temperamental father. The next day, Marvin would return, 
and waiting for him, always just on the other side of the front door, was a beating. But that's not the Marvin we all know and remember. The Marvin Gaye that exists in popular culture was a genius and a musical pioneer paving the way for generations of artists to come by breaking down racial walls and stereotypes. But we can't truly know that man, or even begin to contextualize him or his death, without having had that foreword of knowing the general tonality of his upbringing. Unfortunately, the troubles of his childhood were later traded in for the troubles of a deeply pained man as he grew up and moved out of his childhood home. Although Marvin's career had taken off like a rocket ship with seemingly no end in sight, he didn't handle celebrity or fame well and struggled with both mental health issues and substance abuse issues later in life, his crutch of choice being alcohol and cocaine for the majority of his adulthood. And due to his troubled mental state, it was reported, although not officially confirmed by the man himself, that supposedly Marvin attempted suicide on more than one occasion. To add to his problems, he was perpetually in debt with not only dubious debtors seeking him out constantly, but also the IRS, pursuing him for neglecting to pay his taxes. And while he had maintained sobriety for a period of time, seemingly wrangling his demons finally, it was on his final singing tour when it all came crashing down for him. While on tour, Marvin Gaye once again resumed consuming copious amounts of cocaine and alcohol and even took to wearing bulletproof vests as his paranoia became more and more overwhelming and pronounced. The idea of his death and his own mortality began to consume him. And that's when his mother, a gentlewoman who loved Marvin and was the light in his childhood to the darkness of his father, got sick. So it was with that dark mindset that Marvin Jr. returned to his parents' home to take care of his sick mother. Despite the difficulties of his childhood, Marvin always seemed to be there for his family, even buying his mother who he loved and his father whose love he craved and was tortured for craving, a new home. And it was that home that he'd bought them the second the earnings from his singing career allowed that he returned to. His mother had been through a kidney surgery and was at home recuperating as Marvin arrived with a bag to stay following the completion of his tour. Marvin Sr. was conveniently not present upon his son's arrival in the home, as he was out of town for business and everything seemed well and pleasant in the home, until he returned to begin kicking sand in everyone's faces in October of 1983. It didn't take the two long to begin fighting, fights which were largely nonsensical and were birthed from Marvin Sr.'s need to undermine and belittle his son and his success at any chance he got. Perhaps this sums up their relationship best. In 1979, Alberta Gay, Marvin's mother, said this to David Ritz. My husband never wanted Marvin, and he never liked him. He used to say he didn't think he was really his child. I told him that was nonsense. He knew Marvin was his, but for some reason he didn't love Marvin. And what's worse, he didn't want me to love Marvin either. Marvin wasn't very old before he understood that. The animosity between father and son only seemed to grow continuously more volatile as the days, weeks, and eventually months passed. It didn't take long for Marvin Gaye Jr.'s sisters, 
Jean and Zola, to leave the home as they felt the conflict was unbearable as the air in the Gramercy Place home was filled with shouts and anger. One evening, Marvin Sr. even called the police, having his son removed from the home that he'd purchased his father and mother. So, for a period of time, Marvin Jr. went and stayed with his sister Jean. But, eventually, he returned to his parents' home. But why? Why when things were so uncomfortable? Marvin Gaye always wanted to mend the broken bridge between him and his father. Even as the paranoia worsened, and even as the suicidal thoughts became more and more unbearable, perhaps even more so for those reasons, Marvin Gaye wanted peace and love between him and his father. By April 1984, the alcohol, cocaine, constant mental strain, and the reliving of childhood trauma began to overwhelm Marvin Jr. in a very visual and noticeable way. The only topics of conversation he began to entertain were rants of paranoia or exclamations of wanting to kill himself. He would wear mismatching socks and don several coats at once while walking around the house in shoes that were placed on the wrong feet. As an example of that ever-increasing mental fray, only a few days before Marvin Gaye was murdered, he leapt out of a speeding car which his sister said she believed to be a suicide attempt, but was only left with minor injuries. Despite Marvin's want and need to heal the chasm between himself and his father, the fights only continued to increase in frequency and in intensity, with Marvin always escaping to either his sister's home or his girlfriend's place. But on April 1st, 1984, the decades-long battle of father and son came to a brutal and tragic end for the legendary singer. Marvin Gay Sr. was berating, screaming, tearing into Alberta, his wife, about some supposedly missing insurance papers that he had accused her of misplacing. Alberta sat in her son's bedroom as she listened to Marvin Jr. pleading and shouting at his father for him to go speak to Alberta face-to-face instead of screaming up the stairs in such a violent and toxic way. Marvin Sr. stormed into his son's room, as he had so many times before. Marvin Jr. firmly and loudly ordered his father out of his room, but instead of leaving, he began verbally attacking his wife. Enough was enough. As many of us would do, Marvin Jr. snapped and began physically lashing out at his father, punching him and kicking him and shoving him from the room. Marvin Sr., having been assaulted by his son, left the room and walked down the stairs without a word, returning just a moment later. With zero hesitation, cold calculation, he leveled the Smith & Wesson handgun that his son had bought him for Christmas and fired. The first bullet ripped through Marvin Gaye Jr., the Prince of Soul, tearing and shredding his right lung, heart, diaphragm, liver, stomach, and left kidney, before coming to a rest in the meat of his left side. That first bullet was fatal, but it wasn't enough for Marvin Gaye Sr. As his son lay on the ground, coughing blood and dying, as Alberta Gay begged for her son's life. Marvin Sr. pointed the gun once more at his son, firing into the dying man. Shock and panic set in abruptly, and Alberta ran from the room, pleading to be spared. Marvin's little brother and his wife had heard the shots from the guest house where they were living, and rushed to find Marvin Jr. bleeding out on the ground. 
Frankie took his older brother in his arms and witnessed his last words. I got what I wanted. I couldn't do it myself, so I had him do it. It's good. I ran my race. There's no more left in me. Marvin Sr. was promptly arrested. Alberta, his wife, posted bail but also divorced him. And after surgery to remove a tumor from the base of his brain, Marvin Sr. was found fit to stand trial. But things from here on out aren't nearly as satisfying as we'd like them to be. During the singer's autopsy, there was a significant level of drugs and alcohol in his system. And partly because of that, his father didn't spend one single night in jail for murdering his son. Instead, the courts accepted a plea of voluntary manslaughter. But that was never really the point for Marvin Gaye. And maybe that isn't what you creeps came to hear, and it certainly isn't what I was expecting to say to you guys today, but context matters. Marvin Gaye loved his mother, and he wanted his father to love him, but that was never going to happen. But he did know what would happen if he physically assaulted his father, who had many times expressed that if a single one of his children ever raised a hand against him, that he'd kill them. Jean Gay, Marvin's sister, said it best, and as a member of the family is most qualified to explain what the implications of her brother's final words were. In a statement, she said, Marvin accomplished three things. He put himself out of his misery. He brought relief to mother by finally getting her husband out of her life. And he punished father by making certain that the rest of his life would be miserable. My brother knew what he was doing. Life is messy. Crimes are not. Nothing is what it seems to be. And there is no black and white. And I see so many folks who listen or consume this podcast trying to justify the actions of individuals or trying to demonize them as if it were that simple. I hope the way I described what happened speaks for itself, but let me reiterate. What Marvin Gay Sr. did is unjustifiable. I wish he had gone to jail for what he did. I'm not defending him. But in a sad, tragic, and misguided way, Marvin Gay, the legendary singer, the scorned son, the tortured artist, well, he won. But as both a human and a fan... I just wish it hadn't cost him his life. I wish he had a father to lean on. I wish he had felt he could speak to someone. I wish those around him had recognized the manic behavior. But they didn't. Creep, if you're feeling suicidal, or have a sense of hopelessness, please reach out to someone you love and trust. Please don't try to shoulder that burden by yourself. Know that you're loved. If you are feeling suicidal or know someone who is, please consider calling the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. So, creeps, that brings us to the end of our tale. If you enjoyed this episode and want more, please consider becoming a Patreon member 
by visiting patreon.com slash tales by Cole, where we release a Patreon exclusive podcast weekly for Patreon members generous enough to donate $5 or more. If you have some time on your hands, please consider leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. They are so incredibly important in getting these stories out there. And even more importantly, every five-star review gets me one step closer to moving out of my mother's basement. You can also join us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by searching Tales by Cole. This episode was written and narrated by me, Cole Weavers, and sound production and editing by Matt Black. Remember, creeps, take care of one another, stay safe, and don't forget to lock the doors. (laughs) 